This is Matt Raymond at the Library of Congress. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the Library of Congress National Book Festival, co-chaired in 2009 by President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. Now in its ninth year, this free event, held Saturday, September 26th on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., will spark readers' passion for learning as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even if you can't attend in person, you can still participate online. These podcast interviews with well-known authors and other materials are available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov bookfest. It's now my honor of talking with a man who really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, uh, John Irving. He's one of the most influential writers in America today or in the world. Mr. Irving is widely known for his critically acclaimed novels such as A Prayer for Owen Meany and The World According to Garp the latter of which became an international bestseller, uh, won the National Book Foundation's award for paperback fiction, and was later adapted into a film. Mr. Irving's The Cider House Rules uh, was also adapted into a film by him. Uh, he won an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, and the movie uh, went on to receive seven Academy Award nominations. Mr. Irving's latest novel, Last Night in Twisted River, is due out this October. Mr. Irving, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Um, let me just start out by, I, I have uh, read uh, the book. I had the opportunity to read Last Night in Twisted River. But tell me a little bit in your own words what it's about. Well, it's a fugitive story. It's about a, a man and his son who, uh, for reasons I don't really want to give away, uh, uh, are forced to um, flee the place they're from and have been um, all their uh, conscious lives, and um, it's a story that pursues them. They are on the run for uh, 50 years, and it's a um, a story that's largely set in the northeastern United States and in uh, Canada. Uh, so it's it's located in in that um, uh, cold weather part of the world um and it's um uh, a story about um how much this this man and his son love each other but um also about how much uh, someone else hates uh, them and and so it is a um a very old fashioned um in a way, because of the violence that's set in motion in the beginning of the story, it has the pattern of a Greek uh, drama or an American Western. I think everyone in the audience knows that um, a uh, an unpleasant uh, showdown is uh, inevitable, but what you don't know is... Um, exactly how or when this comes about. Hmm. Um, I, I noticed that uh, there are a lot of recurring themes in the book, and, and in fact, uh, the, there are recurring themes throughout your writing. Um, the couple that jump out at me are, are the notion of accidents and, and the theme of angels. Is there a deeper meaning that, that you try to convey through your use of uh, these recurring themes? No, I don't think one has... Uh, a very conscious control of um, of those things that occur from book to book. Uh, they're they're more in the nature of 
uh, obsessions for the writer than they are what um, um, maybe outsiders to the subject uh, would see as themes. You might consciously choose a theme. You might consciously think, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to write about this or that? But the things that recur most forcefully um, over the course of my my books, um, and there are 12 novels now, are things that I really um, have no control over keeping out. They, they just um, insert themselves. Uh, the idea that um, uh, someone in a family or some element of the family uh, is missing or, or lost. The idea that um, uh, children are uh, in peril. The idea that someone is trying to protect someone who is almost um, uh, impossible uh, for a variety of reasons to protect. Mm. Um, a sense of um, uh, helplessness in the face of the, the random accident, which in the world of uh, of a plotted novel, which mine all are, uh, isn't really that random. Has has more to it, the flavor of um, uh, inevitability, than it does of um, randomness. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess this is probably more of a mechanical question than anything else, but in this book you have chosen a non-linear style of storytelling. Why, why did you uh, choose that style? Well, um, it's a novel also about the process by which one of the characters himself becomes a writer. And the process, that creative process, is, is not necessarily a linear one. It's a linear novel in the sense that it's, it's a story told chronologically. Uh, that is, it begins at the beginning. Uh, there are no flashbacks of significance. But that said, because there are six separate parts, each of which is set off by a, a substantial jump in time. Each first chapter that begins those new parts includes almost as much backstory as it does forward story. Uh, and that's what interrupts or complicates the linear flow of the novel. I was attracted to that structure because um, I'm frankly uh, good at first chapters. I like setting a scene where there is an equal uh, or even more abundant uh, element of backstory than there is forward motion. But by the time the end of the chapter catches up to the present, uh, there is nothing but forward-moving story. Uh, I like that about first chapters. I like beginnings. And by choosing a structure of this kind, where these guys have a life, um, it's been long established, uh, they have a routine, and that routine is disrupted. Uh, they go on the run, and it might be 10, it might be 12, it might be 15 years before we see them again, sometimes with changed names, always older, always in different places, different occupations. Uh, there's a lot of catching up to do each time we meet them. And that gave me the opportunity to write uh, in a novel of 17 chapters, 
I get to write six first chapters, mm-hmm. and I like those chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the character who becomes a writer, and um, in, in the book, the, the character says that he's tired of questions from reporters that start out by asking how much of a book is true or uh, based on the writer's life. So I guess it's with a bit of trepidation that I ask, um, uh, how much of, of uh, a personal inspiration is there in, in this book and in your other books? And, and of course, uh, the character also rejects the notion that um, a writer should write what they know. So so where do you come down between those two ends of the spectrum? Well, I, I think there's a difference between being um, uh, afraid of learning uh, about something new so that you can uh, also write about that um, and um, being true to your um, most heartfelt um, fears and uh, uh, obsessions. I've always found the, the Hemingway... Um, uh, sort of ex-reporter dictum to be truly uninspiring, truly boring. <laughs> um, and many of my novels have taken me into uh, walks of life that I've known nothing about uh, until I've done the research, spent time with um, uh, Dutch policemen, um, uh, Danish um, uh uh, organ players, um, wherever the, the, the story uh, takes me. Perhaps this novel was a little more forthcoming, um, three years, six months in the writing, short for me, um, because the area of research uh, covered things that I already knew a sizable amount about. Uh, I didn't need to learn as much outside of my own experience as I normally need to do uh, with a novel. Um, My uncle was in the logging business in the northern part of New Hampshire. Uh, My cousin, who's a a good friend and a contemporary of mine, was a big help to me uh, in this book. I remember spending time in the logging camps when I was a kid in the 50s, when they were still driving logs down rivers. I remember that from New Hampshire and from Maine. Um, uh, I'm the cook in my family. I've worked in restaurants. Um, the aspects of the novel that concerned the cook were not uh, as intimidating to me as the life of a tattoo artist, say, in the previous novel, Until I Find You. Uh, I didn't have to learn as much, um, or I already had some background when I went and uh, spent some time in restaurant kitchens with uh, chefs who were friends and uh, owners of restaurants that um, I knew already uh, fairly well. There was less material to learn that was wholly foreign to me. As for what's autobiographical, eh, you know, um, uh, I was never a cook uh, in a logging camp. (laughs) Um, This isn't, however, the first time uh, I've made a main character in a novel, a writer, and I doubt very much it'll be the last time. Um, I like writing about writers. Um, one takes a certain amount of criticism for that, um, which um, I find in- insulting. The criticism seems to be based on the fact that writers aren't very interesting or that the process of writing isn't very interesting. I think you can make uh, the process by which anyone sort of makes a living or creates a life for himself or herself interesting. That's 
that's the job of the writing. Um, and I think um, uh, Danny Bacigalupo's uh, uh, development as a writer uh, is as interesting a part of this novel to me um, as the fact that he and his father uh, are being hunted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, the reflections on being a writer or writing are autobiographical, but not um, not as um, uh, emotionally or psychologically difficult in an autobiographical sense as other things I have written about. Um, there's a missing mother in this story. The missing father uh, is a common theme in earlier novels. Um, this isn't the first uh, child who's lost. Um, those things are, uh, keep coming up. I sometimes think that uh, the things you fear, which have never happened to you, um, but which you are compelled to uh, write about again and again, uh, are as certifiably autobiographical as those small sort of trivial things that um, actually did happen to you and you do write about, but which have left you largely emotionally or psychologically untouched. Um, You know, uh, I, I, I think if you continue to create a character who is entirely fictional, uh, but who, um, you mentioned earlier, um, angels, but who serves a story as a kind of savior, as a kind of protector, um, even if there wasn't such a character in your own life, if you keep creating that character, um, you must wish that there had been. Mm-hmm. Which is also a kind of autobiography. Um, we went out to the Library of Congress's Facebook and Twitter pages, and we gave some of your fans an opportunity to pose questions. So I wanted to turn to at least a couple of those. Uh, one that I thought was, I don't know, maybe a little bit offbeat, but uh, this person asks, what well-known voice most resembles the Owen Meany voice that you hear in your head? Is there one? No, well-known, no. Um, uh, not a voice I've ever heard um before granite quarrying other kinds of rock uh, quarrying marble quarrying any hard heavy rock that that uh, produces um a finite kind of dust you know before they they got savvy about um masks that that people should wear to you know protect their breathing there there was a lot of um, rock dust damage, a lot of inhalant damage, just as there were um, we, we know uh, full well in coal mines. Um, so I've, I've heard voices uh, scratched, um, impaired, even, um, you know, vocal cords that have um, been so uh, affected by tiny... Uh, polyps of the kind that singers get, that that mm-hmm. there's a constriction, um, a kind of permanent rattle and a, and a pinched, uh, forced uh, falsetto. 
somebody asked me once, well, what does Elamini sound like? And I, I, my best guess would, would, would be something I call um, rock dust falsetto. Mm. Um, uh, he's just, He's just got a lot of junk on his vocal cords, mm, mm-hmm. and they're and they're strangled, you know. So it's um, it's it's not a, I imagine a a, a strained, forced, not um, uh, not appealing, but but sort of harsh falsetto voice. Uh, one other question from the Twitter feed: uh, This person asks, "Is there anything in a novel that's more important than the characters?" Well, uh, the characters mean everything to me. I mean, their development, their um, uh, their growth over the course of the novel, over the passage of time, um, when when their paths cross and recross. Those are the things that um, uh, I take the most number of notes about. Um, uh, I need to know what's going to happen to everybody, and um, when they meet, how they meet, if they meet again, uh, and when that happens, and um, uh, how devastating or not it is to him or her. Um, I often think that um, uh, the early stages of a novel are a lot like trying to isolate the half a dozen, or if you've had a more interesting life than mine, maybe a dozen people whose lives have intersected yours, who you would unequivocally admit have changed your life. Mm. How many people are there? You know, I'm, I'm 67. Um, I count seven or eight people that I would um, say, okay, if... Um, if I hadn't met him or I hadn't met her, I, I wouldn't have made this turn. I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have done this thing that turned out to be um, of significance, of some kind of gravity. There aren't a lot, you know. Um, and I would be surprised at, at someone my age, even with a fabulously interesting and well-traveled life, comes up with more than a dozen such people. Mm. Well, thinking about a novel in the early going is a lot like that. You think, okay, who are the main characters? Who are the major minor characters? Who are the even minor characters who affect major changes in the major characters? And you, you don't come up with a uh, a large number of people, but you do come up with uh, a significant differentiation of Characters. There always are at least a half dozen people of um, telltale significance, and I think anyone at almost any age in his or her life can answer those questions about. You can answer those questions about your own life. Well, you know, putting together a novel is a is a kind of heightened common sense of doing exactly that kind of thing but with fictional characters. Mm-hmm. 
another person asked if you'd consider coaching wrestling for his university, but I won't ask you to respond to that one. Um, I, I touched on your, your experience writing screenplays, and, and I was wondering, when you're writing a book, how much consideration do you give, if any, to how it will translate on film? Uh, no, absolutely none. Mm. It's, you know, uh, in most cases, I don't, um, I don't see my novels as films. I don't, I don't have a strong feeling, uh, about resisting someone else's impulses, uh, to adapt a novel of mine as a film, but most of the time, I'm not interested. Um, I like something perfectly well as a novel, but I just don't uh, see it. I don't have a vision of it as a film. It it, it doesn't strike me as um, uh, especially filmable, or not interestingly so. Um, I don't think that a novel is ever... (laughs) What's the word? Um incomplete if um if no one ever makes a movie of it maybe maybe that's a kind of tri- triumph <laughs> uh i don't um hold my breath about that process and a good thing too it takes too long yeah uh i was asked to write the screenplay for the world according to garp george Roy hill asked me and i said to him honestly i just didn't see it as a movie that i would be happy to read uh, somebody else's script and happy to talk to him about um, cast or any other aspect of um, the process that he thought I could help him with. But I uh, I didn't really want to be involved as the writer. I didn't uh, I didn't see it as a as a doable film. Um, I said to my friend Tony Richardson, who made the Hotel New Hampshire, wrote and directed it. Um, that I wasn't interested either. Tony was relieved because he wanted to write it himself. Um, And it was only a courtesy that he asked me if I wanted to. And as soon as I said no, I could see he was delighted. Uh, It's it's rarely the case that I see a book of mine as having what I see as, as, as film potential. In the case of The Cider House Rules, I saw it immediately. Um, I just saw it as a film. I saw how to do it. Um, uh, it, it, it has a, a, a particularly elliptical shape. It comes back on itself. Um, the orphan who leaves the orphanage goes back to the orphanage to be the orphanage physician. That kind of egg-shaped uh, story is, is, is very well done in films. What isn't well done in films and which makes many of my books uh, really improbable as as films, is the passage of time. And what I also saw about the Cider House Rules was how to truncate the time of that novel, which takes place in more than 15 years, how to truncate it to less than two, uh, so that I didn't have to continue to change actors. I didn't have to have three Homer Wellses. I didn't have to have two... Dr. Larch is, I could stick with the same actor, which is very important to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was a, that was a novel that I, I saw as a film as I 
finish the novel. And when the novel was still in manuscript, even as I was revising the novel, I thought, oh, I see how to do this. Um, the young guy who came to me with a plan to make an adaptation of A Widow for One Year by doing only the first third of that novel, the film called The Door in the Floor, uh, from a chapter title, an early chapter title of that novel, um, he had a great idea. I mean, he, he came and said, I see how to do this if you only do the first third, if you only do part one. Uh, it is a novel in three acts, like a play, uh, and that way you circumvent the problem of the passage of time. Time really doesn't pass very significantly in that first act of that novel, uh, and you leave the rest of the novel um, untampered with for um, uh, people who haven't read it and who see the movie, and then they can go and read the last two acts of the book. Um, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Mm. Um, uh, I didn't write it because it was his idea. And uh, and uh, Todd Williams is a writer and director, and we're working together again on uh, on an adaptation of The Fourth Hand. I also see The Fourth Hand, um, my novel, The Fourth Hand, as adaptable. But, you know, other things, I right away, I would say that the the passage of time in a novel like Until I Find You makes it unfilmable. Um, and I'm not kidding. No one has asked about making a movie of that novel, and I am unsurprised. Um, I think they would have to be crazy uh, to, to want to uh, film that novel. I don't know how you'd do it. Uh, and I don't, as as appealing visually as some of the scenes in Last Night in Twisted River are, Again, the passage of time is as significant to this novel, which takes place over 50 years, as a major minor character in the story. Mm. The effect of the passage of time, what happens because of the passage of time, is an integral part of that novel. It wasn't in the case of the Cider House Rules. I could take it out of the story and leave the story intact so that Homer Wells could come back to that orphanage in 18 months' time instead of after 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing essentially changed about the urgency of the story. Um, and so, you know, it was instantly doable. Um, and it still took 13 years to get made. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's not something that far from consciously thinking of the film possibilities as I write uh, a novel, I, I don't I don't usually think there are any film possibilities, at least none that would involve me. Um, and I like writing screenplays. I'm writing a couple of other screenplays, but they're not adaptations of my novels, you know. They're just screenplays. Mm. And I like writing screenplays. But um, I I had a ball doing Cider House. I loved it. But um, you know, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not eager to to write screenplays adapted from my novels. It it usually doesn't interest me. Yeah. Um, and I'd much rather, you know, it, it it's it's much easier to write a screenplay than it is to write a novel. I. I can write a first draft of a screenplay in usually two to three months. Um, 
even a, a novel that is quickly forthcoming, as Twisted River was, is uh, more like three or four years. Uh, I can rewrite a screenplay in six weeks. Um, it, it, screenplays aren't hard to write, but movies are hard to get made. A serious movie, a so-called art film, especially in today's economy, is really difficult to get made. Hmm. And, you know, if I were 37 instead of 67, I might be spending a third of my time writing screenplays and two-thirds of my time writing novels, but I, I don't want to spend a, a sixth of my time writing screenplays at 67. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I got another 13 years to wait for a movie to come out, right? <laughs> I mean, it may take four or five years to write a novel, but you don't have to wait more than 18 months for it to come out after you write it. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, there's just there's a certain practicality about it that um, isn't very appealing. Well, the book, once again, Last uh, Night in Twisted River, will be released in October. John Irving, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. And we will be hearing more from you at the National Book Festival. That's on Saturday, September 26th on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. As always, free and open to the public. For more details and a complete list of participating authors, visit www.loc.gov bookfest. From the Library of Congress, this is Matt Raymond. Thank you so much for listening.